Welcome to the podcast, Cutting for Sign. I'm Ron Cecil, men's life coach and writer, together with my co-host, best friend and artist, Daniel Penner-Klein. Throughout our lives and as friends over the past decade, we've asked, how do we find the clues and puzzle pieces that align us with our higher potential? Join us as we converse with experts, artists, adventurers, mental health professionals, and fellow deep thinkers as we cut for sign and attune our own potential, mental health, and creativity. The bad white man calling the devil. The Yavapai calling eyes like the sky. Welcome to Cutting for Sign, everybody. Ron Cecil here, Daniel Penner Klein. Came again. Here he is. <laughs> Today we got uh, Melinda Sidorova. Yeah, kind of a <clears throat> filling in the dancer uh, hole in our audit cutting for sign. When we were guest list, we had a dancer on. I don't think we've had a dancer. I don't think so, and I think it's it's it shouldn't be uh, underplayed why that's important to you in particular. And you've mentioned it we, when we were talking uh, with some past guests recently. Um, uh, you talked about how much dance, how important dance is, has been to you. Yeah. And, and how you identify yourself with that a, a bit more than anything else as an extension of your art, even though you are a, a painter, a professional painter, professional artist. Um, and I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you remember the conversation with... Um, um, the therapist we just spoke to, his name's about, is about to come right back to Benjamin Russell. Benjamin, yeah. Um, he actually called he actually called dance the purest form of art, hmm. or something like that. Do you remember that? No, I don't remember him saying the purest form of art. That's, the purest. That seems like a little bit of a you know art 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 elitism. <laughs> I mean, he's not like, a dancer. Why would you say Why would you say that about any art? I think he said that. I think he said that. Uh, I know you don't like absolute statements, but uh, give the guys give the guys opinion. Um, well, I would just want to tease to, it out. Is what I'm have to agree. Let's tease that one out. Well, I, thought, I was thinking about it. And I thought, well, perhaps what he means is um, is there's nothing in between the artist and the medium. That's a good call. There's nothing in between the artist and the and the audience. It is the artist. Presenting that what they are experiencing directly. Yeah, like movement is pretty direct experience, but I would say maybe so is voice. So maybe singing yeah. could be right there with pure form of arts. There's nothing. You know, what's the diff? Singing is dance is just singing is just dancing with your voice box, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Singing is dancing with your voice box. Should we have had a singer on? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, we had a uh, we had a uh, Dennis Dennis Eidemir, but then we just talked about non-monogamy. Oh gosh, yeah, that's right, that's right. <laughs> Anyways, I, I think you know Milena. Uh, she's a world-class um, ballet dancer and choreographer, and um, I just am fascinated with uh, ballet. Ballet is like the distance running of dance. You know, it's mm. really can be hard on the body. It's it's what I like to call a hot flame. You know, you can't hold your hand over that type of movement you can't lean into that type of movement do that type of movement really really intensely you're going to hurt yourself but you have to do it intensely to get really really good so walking that line is pretty interesting and i'm pretty fascinated with that and um you know i have uh one close ballet dancer friend who's doing it world-class 
also in his 60s. And to do that is even more impressive. And so for me, dance is like the one that got away. It's the career that got away. You know, if I, mm-hmm. if I had to do it in a perfect world, and uh, if I got to do life in a perfect world, I, I would be a dancer. Um, yeah. But that's not to say it still can't happen in it, in its own way, you know, in a, in a different way, but very modified and, and mindful. I have, have to be very mindful of how yeah. I dance. You know, should I be able to dance, um, you know, intensely in the future? Cool. Melina's here. Ready to let her in? Let's do it. Milena Sidorova, you are an award-winning Ukrainian Dutch choreographer, young creative associate at the renowned Dutch National Ballet in Amsterdam, and in December 2020 became the first dancer in the history of the Dutch National to officially hold positions as both dancer and choreographer. You have created more than 25 choreographies and have been celebrated for your consistency, originality of voice, playfulness, and quote, skin-tingling work. Some of your most recent accomplishments include directing the ballet film Rose, which explores love and hope through the portrayal of shadows of previous relationships. You've had your work selected by the Royal Opera House in London, and the creation of your newest production, Regnum, was described as, quote, brave and unforgettable. Your video, Hold On, inspired by the lockdown and filmed by dancers in their homes, went viral and was adapted by the Dutch rock band Direct. Your work, Tickle, also known as Kriebel, won an International Young Audience Music Award, and your choreography has been performed all over the globe. You also played the creepy human spider in the Oscar-winning movie Dune. Milena, you believe in chasing and blooming, in the continuous change toward who we are meant to be, reflecting on our actions and attitudes, and finding the events, environments, and communities that disrupt and then shift our sense of selves. Hey, Milena, welcome to Cutting for Sign. Hi, thank you. Wow, that's quite an introduction. <laughs> Pleasure to well, be you've here. Lived quite, you've lived quite a life and had quite a career. It's amazing. Thank you. Really glad to have you here. Yeah. Thanks so much. We like to we like to um, talk to creatives and artists of all kinds. And we were just discussing before you came on. We do kind of a a time where Dan and I or Daniel and I get together and and prepare and ask each other questions about what we're looking for and what we're excited about. And what one thing we realized is you're perhaps the first dancer that we've had on. And, and we've had uh, other artists and musicians and poets um, and actors even. And, and I think for us right now, this is a, a curious thing and, and something that we're, we're um, excited about. Because one just this last, <clears throat> actually it was a couple episodes ago, we were speaking to a therapist out of, of uh, San Francisco hmm. uh, named Benjamin Russick. And, and Benjamin, we were talking about creativity and we were talking about uh, artistic expression. And Russick uh, had an opinion that uh, said that dance is perhaps the purest form of artistic expression. Oh, um, wow. That's... Uh... <laughs> I feel like I'm being in school right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? You could say, I don't do- agree. <laughs> um, um, that was my response, uh, Milena, also, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like something for, for an essay. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I believe there's a lot of uh, um, uh, ways to, to express yourself and um uh yeah creativity reaches um yeah you you can you can mix uh 
things like dance and uh, and other forms of art. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if I agree, um, but in the sense that the the body language you don't you don't need to you don't need to speak, and the body language is uh, universal language. Um, so mm. anyone can can watch and understand and and feel what the artist uh, means with their uh, expression. Do you have any other um, creative uh, skills that you've focused on through the years? Other creative skills? Um, well, I, I I don't know how uh, how creative uh, it is, but I, I did I did an MBA uh, besides uh, my dancing career. Did you? Uh, yeah, I was uh, interested in in how. Uh, uh, companies work in general and um, uh, yeah I found it fascinating because it's also such a different environment and uh, we were brought up uh, as, as ballet dancers you go through through school since since you're um, nine years old you're already in professional school and it, it's it's like being little soldiers you know every mm. day you come and you do a routine you do your class you're you're being you're doing what you're being told all day long and I was um, in a boarding school all pretty much yeah my, my whole uh, uh um, well most of uh, most of the my time at school so um um i was being told a lot what to do and at mba so uh, of course a completely different environment hmm. um yeah even in the company so when you join the company it's not like a regular company um you're still being told what to do and yeah. you're still it's like a continuation of school in a way uh, of course, you're being treated as an adult, but it's uh, it's it's different to other companies. Do you ever see yourself going into business after after a dancing career or choreography career? Um, or are you in business now? N- no, um, I'm not. Uh, yeah, the, the the reason that I did the MBA that is is not necessarily that I want to go and work elsewhere. Um, yeah. It's it's more that I'm curious about it and I want to understand it and also being a choreographer to, um, to make pieces, you know, I also have to understand that aspect of, uh, human, uh, human behavior and, mm-hmm. and environment and, um, uh, and who knows, you know, there, I also had some thoughts, um, business ideas that mm-hmm. I might follow one day, but yeah. each, uh, choreography is my passion. And I actually, uh, just stopped as a dancer, uh, officially, oh, wow. um, a few weeks ago. Yeah. So, so I can pursue my choreography career. What yeah. led to that decision? Um, what, did it have anything to do with uh, the toll on your body or what was it? Uh, it's a mixture of things. Um, uh, toll on your body, of course. As a as a professional as a professional dancer, you keep uh, doing things to your body that normal people don't. Yeah. Uh, and um, I had my fair and share of uh, injuries. Um, but and and ballet career is so short. You know, eventually, it it, uh, it, it it's short for everybody. Not not uh, yeah. Mm, but I want to pursue uh, choreography, yeah, and yeah. that's the main reason why I stopped. 
Yeah, um, I'll go ahead, Ron. Uh, do you? I've, I heard you mention a couple of years ago in an interview that you were interested in in taking your choreography outside of out of um, concert halls and perhaps into bigger venues. Is that part of this decision? Uh, there's there's not a, um, a concrete uh, venue yet that I yeah. can uh, announce right now. Yeah. Uh, it, it's of course something that I uh, keep thinking of and that is a part of a um, something that still needs to come together yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's my big dream cool it, yeah yeah um curious uh when you like w- what we do on the you're probably wondering like what cutting for sign means and what um sometimes i'm surprised the, the with as little it, information beforehand as people know about what we do that they say yes they want to come and talk to us because it's not like a title of a podcast that's very clear about what it's about but Mm -hmm. it's an old tracking term that has to do with uh, signs that what you're tracking um, you find signs of what uh, an animal or something that you're tracking behind and then that sign Mm -hmm. you cut that sign which means just deciding or delineating what it means and then following it and we use that as a metaphor for life and Mm -hmm. for what how we can become um a more aligned attuned um aspect of ourself or version of ourself and um i'm curious if that was a decision a decision to stop like the primary role that you've had as a dancer to stop Mm -hmm. that and to take over and transition into obviously it's choreography is is you know a close second i mean sure that came in pretty quickly in, in your career um mm-hmm. you know what led to that and was it hard were you where were you ever confused about whether or not it would be time do you think you'll start dancing again will it just be a transition of how you dance like can you speak to that mm-hmm. a little bit yeah um it was uh difficult it was a difficult uh, decision to make because uh, I started when I was three years old. So it's it's this. Yeah. It's more than something you do. It's it's a part of your identity, um, and all the challenges that you had to go through. Um, I mean, even even to get through school, it's already a huge challenge uh and and with my uh bursts of creativity i was actually getting in trouble for a lot of things uh, when i was little already uh for example because we're um at the boarding school and um uh there was there was some free time I was, uh, when I was 10, I was selling uh, sandwiches uh, in my (laughs) dorm room and tea and, you know, and then my mother was called her and she said, "Um, you know, she doesn't have a license to do this. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but it sounds funny, but I almost got expelled from what I was told. And then uh, next year, something else happened. 
um, I think I was like massages people's arms, shoulders, you know, uh, like at 11 something. You're and then, an entrepreneur. I can see why you think that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is making sense. <laughs> yeah. You see an opportunity. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they found my journal. Uh, with oh, God. Everything that everybody owed Whoa. me. They never paid me a cent. But <laughs> my mother was, uh, got, um, she got called to the carpet again. Um, on the carpet and you know there I was really in trouble um, and later on I was even getting for tr- uh, in trouble for things that I did not do uh, that was that was I wasn't even that bad I was like yeah sounds like me <laughs> but uh, you just rather take it you'd rather be associated with that that's funny sorry so it sounds like you you um you didn't mind being being blamed for that stuff. Yeah, it, it was something really random was going on. Uh, uh, my classmates, I don't know where it came from, but they were they were um, hyperventilating, and then they were making each other faint. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In Which, America, we call that Wally Wallbangers. <laughs> yeah, I I never heard of that word. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and. Um, I remember it was uh, uh, some sort of class, and everyone mm-hmm. went to the to the bathroom. And I, I look behind me, and there's almost nobody left. And I I go, can I also go to the bathroom? <laughs> 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 and I think that was way too obvious because five minutes yeah. later, the the teacher came, and uh, we were all yeah, we we were all um, told, and I was being called to director yeah. again. So. Was, so it was good that I left in a way. Uh, I did a bunch of competitions um, and uh, there were also tough competitions. Some of them, I was the youngest competitor. So yeah. being at the age uh, 13 or 14, I was contesting with 16 and 18 years old, which in, in the Bali terms, it's, it's a huge difference uh, yeah. in technique and uh, so, and, uh, also, uh, yeah, thanks to one of my choreographies, the spider, which blew up on, on YouTube to, uh, um, millions, what's it like 17 million now or something, um, of views. And, uh, it had also a great success in competitions. So it played, it played a huge role. Uh, yeah. But all, all of this, like kind of led you to knowing when when was the right time to transition to make this like massive transition yeah so the so the transition so uh, the the dancing is uh part of the identity and that that carries from school to to the to the company um and and then even though i was doing choreography uh throughout my whole dancing career it it's still it still feels like something that i'm living uh, that's hard to leave behind dancing yeah. professionally. You know, uh, when I was <clears throat> uh, writing up that intro, and I can't, there's that Rose, the film that you made. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't tell exactly what you meant by this, but when you said that that you were portraying shadows from previous relationships, mm-hmm. um, what did you mean by that? Okay. Uh, so the girl goes into the bar and she starts talking 
about to to this bartender uh, who might care more or less. He's kind of not caring so much. He's in his own head, and she she tells him these uh, these two stories about uh, her two exes, um, and one is. Mm, one uh, relationship that just sort of grew far apart eventually, uh, and and the other really uh, the next one is uh, where he was so into her, but 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 she, um, yeah, she she lost the <laughs> the the feeling and. Um, that was that was the base for for this uh for this part of the movie and um i won't go into a lot of details but there's uh, a lot of things that i make i come across them in my own yeah. um life so yeah. there might yeah, have been Small parts of my ex is somewhere in there. <laughs> We're not saying which parts. But We're not going to name any names. <laughs> he just happened to be six foot two. Named John. I don't know. It's a coincidence. Can I ask you about your writing process? Um, mm -hmm. Do you? Does this come to you uh, in a scene? Does it come to you as a concept, or? Or does it come to you as a as someone saying, "Hey, I want you to write um, a movie or or whatever about mm -hmm. such and such"? Uh, so far, I had quite a lot of freedom in uh, making a concept, which I thoroughly enjoy, and also in the freedom to um, to use music. Of course, not not all the projects are. Um, with my own choice of music and concept, there are collaborations too that I've done, like uh, Tickle, for example, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. But I really like making my own concepts, and mm. it's uh, it depends on the music, it depends on the environment, the. I, uh, I don't know, time of the year, uh, <laughs> everything that is, um, uh, yeah, all the environment influences it li a little bit. You know, Ron and I um, are in a writing group. Mm -hmm. He's working on a piece of fiction. I'm working on a podcast project. Actually, he's also working on the podcast project, but it's, it, Ron and I had this little experience about a month ago where I was like, you know, you're an artist, right? Like if you're going to write fiction, you, you're an artist. Cause that's, that's painting with words. Like fiction writing is art, you know? And, yeah. and he was like, thanks for saying that. But I could tell, you know, it's just an identity, a word, a label. He's never, you know, probably it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, Ron, but he's mm -hmm. never, you know, applied to himself. And it, it seems to me that both he and I, <clears throat> We're, we're exploring the creative process um, through me. I'm a painter. Um, he's a writer. Um, the creative process can be applied to probably most things we do during the day, not just, uh, you know, arts. Um, but I personally have a strong desire and where I'm landing as an artist is uh, in my process and regarding where ideas come from is that they need to come from somewhere that is authentically me, somewhere 
a tune, you know, that spot on the guitar string where you touch it in a harmonic plane. It's like there's a sweet spot that where ideas can come from. And then I notice that if those ideas, if you can't, if I can choose ideas as a painter that come from a place that's very personal um, and uh, part of what I would term my inner world, that the the outer version of them, the creation of them goes, is inspired and energized in a way that that just like doesn't go away. It just, dry, just drives me all the way through the end. Um, mm. And I'm just curious, and this is a question for you too, Ron. Like, does that, do you understand what I'm saying? Does, do you feel that also? Do you think about that in that show? Um, I'm sorry, the, uh, the short bloom, I think it was, you know, mm -hmm. your voiceover seems to speak to uh, personal transformation, changing, blossoming, becoming mm -hmm. more oneself. Um, and it sounds, that's one of the reasons I was looking forward to and, and enjoying speaking with you is you seem to value that and apply it to your art. Would you say that's true? And how can you just speak to that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so now we're talking about uh, Bloom, which is uh, a choreography I made uh, in May. It uh, pr premiered for a junior company of the Dutch National Ballet. Um, and the choreography was about them. Uh, the young, them in the sense of young people that are still developing themselves, even though they mm. feel like adults and they are adults in the sense. Um, well, not in the sense they are. But there's this. Yeah, there's this. I don't know. Maybe another ten years uh, in which you discover your uh, identity. I think it took me a long time to, yeah. to to discover who I really am. I think now I sort of know. Um, do you? Do you feel emphasis, like you? Yeah, emphasis on sort of. Yeah, yeah sort of. <laughs> I would also tag myself on that well, sort of as well. It's evolving, that... right? It's seasons change, and and mm -hmm. <clears throat> I've had to deconstruct who I think I am over and over, and rebuild over and over, and to. Daniel's point earlier, um, accept labels that I didn't, that I weren't comfortable with in the, in the past, like, like artist, it's still mm -hmm. an uncomfortable label to me. I'm getting more comfortable if I'm creative I, and, and create and actually make things that are an outpouring of my inner world. And I guess by definition that is art and that it's consumed mm -hmm. by somebody. Um, uh, I have rigid, um, definitions of what I think some of those labels are. And I've had to like, let those go and be more open-handed about it. Yeah. Um, and right. judgments, sometimes, lots of judgments. Sometimes we don't call ourselves something because our definition of that word isn't something we want to take out. It doesn't mean that we're not that thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I've, I know that I've, I've, I've got a lot of stories around what I think certain things mean. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'll use the word artist. I, I have a lot of stories around what I thought artist meant. I think that's what was so interesting uh, well, well, I'm going to, um, get back to that in just a moment, but I, well, I thought the, the old way, the old, the old way that I used to think about who an artist was, was someone who created objects, paintings or pottery or something like that. And wore a smock all the time and a fun hat. 
smock? I think it's uh, like an overcoat or an over like shirt. Yeah, <laughs> that 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 word needs to mean something else because it needs to be used more. Smock, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, Georgia O'Keeffe would have been someone in my mind that I thought of as a consummate artist. Um, and and then over time, especially after being challenged by Daniel, I really begin to realize like, oh, it's it's somebody who has a creative outlet that that whether it's professional or or it's because it's being driven from deep within, it has to come out. And in fact, sometimes professional artists really become artisans because it's they, they don't have all the time a, a direct connection with the creative process for themselves. They're just creating something because they've been asked to create it. They've been commissioned mm -hmm. to create it. Um, and I've, you know, I, I, and it sounds like I'm judgier on that, but I'm not. I think everybody's got to make their <laughs> feed themselves. But I, but as far as artists goes, now that now I'm realizing, and I'll kind of reiterating myself is. There's something inside us that's, that it's a story that comes out in some medium and it's the medium we feel comfortable with. And, and that is something I'm, I'm allowing myself to see for myself in a new way. And I think some of it is, is even these conversations. I want our conversations to be artistic expressions of who we are and who I am. And, and in the conversation, we create something together and then we put it out in the world and it lives yeah, and it's, it's its own thing. It seems that art, you know, an ongoing subject of conversation on here is the what art is, you know, and we had a, a guest, an actor, Loki Miller, say that art is that which wakes people up, and I was like, yeah, I like that, you know, um, and maybe for him, that's mostly what it is, maybe for others, that's a box that needs to be checked in what the definition of art is, but uh, for me, um, one of those boxes is certainly that which is connected to the, the admitted vague term our inner world you know but what I mean by that is what our values are our beliefs are our past um the mystery our dreams um these these are aspects of of our inner world and um our feelings you know feelings don't really feelings do have layers right like one feeling can exist under another feeling I know I've had the experience of anxiety dissolving into grief and I was like oh that was grief that, that was really grief but I think emotions misrepresent themselves less than thoughts and even ideas and beliefs. Sometimes you realize, oh, I don't really believe this. My point is, is that, you know, art can come from an emotional place, but also a place that, um, that, that springs from those other aspects of the inner world. Or if something comes from that, then I would consider it art. And so, you know, these conversations, for example, that can definitely be art, you know, but but then any anything can be art. So I think that there is it's a it's a good conversation to have. Is like okay, when is when are you just being authentic and when are you creating art from from a from an authentic place? You know, and maybe it's thinking about it too much, but I think it's a, it's an interesting conversation. Well, I thought I thought that label that um, the dance company gives uh, you guys as as an artist, uh, you know, I, I guess that could be a synonym to, for choreographer in some ways. Because you're seeing something bigger, there's a there's a image, there's a experience being created and painted, mm -hmm. um, and when I when I saw that word used for that role, it kind of dawned. I was like, oh, of course, that's what's going on here, uh, and it and it seemed artist in that tent in that sense seemed much more expressive than even choreographer. 
I'm not a dancer, so I can't, you know, I don't know all the meaning and all the, the weight that word holds. But I, um, as my, as my experience with art is being uh, rolled out in front of me, I loved what that what was, what, what I was witnessing in that word and in that space. Does it feel like that for you when you as, do you feel more like an artist or do you feel like a choreographer or could you could you define those differently or do they feel the same um that's a good question uh, i uh, i'm it, you were talking about labels just now so yeah. um i think i'm used to the label of choreographer hmm. uh, but I, I agree with uh, being an artist in that sense. Uh, for for us, we're often being called artists as a as a ballet dancer as well. They, they say, mm. "Oh, this artist." Sure. So then, uh, being called a choreographer differentiates that uh, a bit. But it's still you're you're also artist, but in a different way. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's it's not just the the dance itself. There's a lot of overview with uh, there yeah there's a lot of for example um, you have to work with with the lights with sets yeah. with all kinds of uh, designers costumes and and make it all come together as a as a mm. one piece uh, so it's not just about dance that sounds like a really fun process what is that like in the early stages when you get or when you get around the set designer and the and the light designer and stuff Who's the who's the driving force in the creative process? Uh, well, me usually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it is. Uh, uh, it is really fun. It is yeah. uh, really fun. So, uh, because, well, unless it's a collaboration and there's uh, uh, a you know a, a director of a project that is somebody else, then I'm just doing my dancing part and yeah. I can put forward some ideas. But it's it's a, them in the driving seat otherwise it's me and um so then it's my responsibility to make sure that the costumes the sets the music the dancing all comes together in a in a in a form that is uh, uh aesthetically pleasing mm -hmm. um uh, being understood by audiences what it is about um that's the way not all choreographers work but that's the way i like to work um, and yeah, that it all works. Amazing. I was just at a, a Nine Inch Nails concert a few weeks ago. Uh, have you heard of that band? Mm, no, they, they were a big, they were a giant band in the, in the United mm. States in the 80s and 90s. And um, it was at a venue here. I live in Portland, Oregon, which is on the west coast of the United States, uh, north of San Francisco. And a uh, small venue, maybe 2,000 people. Mm -hmm. And the light, um, the person who, you know, choreographed the light to the concert, I thought was an unsung hero because it was so oh, yeah. good. Mm -hmm. Like the, the light, um, you know, the, the sequences and the way it was um, synced up with the music was so, so good. I thought, God, this guy, whoever this guy, he needs to come out and do his own bow because we were, as the audience, were wow, like all of us completely enthralled with what was going on with that process so i love i love mm -hmm. when things like that sync up together and and i bet it's super satisfying on your end when it does yeah absolutely it's, it's, uh, yeah, go ahead. uh yeah light can uh can it, it makes the gray box look 
like uh, a piece of art, right? Yeah, so, you've got a yeah. great, you, you have a great light in your background, actually. I don't know if it's because it's blurred, but it's uh, it's beautiful. Um, oh, thanks. Uh, funnily, funnily enough, I'm, uh, this is just a stretch to relate to what you are saying right now, but it's a, it's 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 a real happening thing. Is um, I'm working on a drawing right now. And it's of a stage, a theater stage outside at night. And then there's overarching like oak tree limbs that are reaching over the stage and kind of dipping into the stage. The idea, I won't push it this far, but the idea is that it would be easy to, to imagine these overarching uh, oak tree limbs as big like hands that would be puppeteering whatever was happening on stage. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not going to actually do that, but I would like the subtle suggestion of that. But my point is, is that <clears throat> I'm, at the, I'm at the stage, no pun intended, where I need to light the stage. And that light is going to affect the trees and the background and the stage itself, the audience. And there's no audience in this, in this image, too. That's part of the thing. And I'm like, where the fuck am I going to put the lights and then when and because they're not in the in any of the um uh, reference picture images that i'm using i need to like imagine how the light would hit this stage and the oak trees and it's just a very tricky thing and i imagine that a huge part of what you do you're like what would the light do if i went from over here and yeah 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 it's uh even even the light designer that that i had recently for um for regnum he had to make an appointment with uh with the set designer who is actually a video game designer hmm. um and they work together to see how the lights will uh, where, where they need to build lights to start with and then and how it will affect everything so uh, they actually done this through um one of the programs on the computer wow. before we actually so went on stage that's wild yeah. so you can turn there's programs or software where you can you can play with lighting without having to set it up yeah it, it's not a special lighting program but she did uh, make, make an approximate uh, you know oh. uh, yeah she did it manually i believe but yeah melina i have a question for you i have two questions for you actually do you know a um i believe he's an instructor and a career um Alex Osandik. Osandik. He's a he is a Soviet era East German train in the Vaganova tradition. Are you familiar with this dancer? Um, can you say it one more time? His name's Alex. His last name is OSS. -S oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. D didn't he uh didn't he uh go to the Netherlands recently? Oh, okay. I don't know, but I was wondering if you might have heard from him because I have a really interesting relationship in my life that I wanted to share with you. Um, mm -hmm. And I've, I've spoken with Ron a little bit um, and it relates to this, this guy, Alex. But um, about a, a decade ago, I met this gentleman in a restaurant. Um, he was like very well-dressed and very kind. And we started to get to know each other um, over the years because we were in the same neighborhood. And he was about 60. And it turns out he's a ballet dancer. And he had worked a career in, in uh, uh, tech, you know, and, and had run some companies and was independently wealthy at this stage and retired. And so he was a um, world-class ballet dancer in his late teens, early 20s. And, but he was, all, he was very good at what he did, but he, he didn't have the body type or the look 
um, to get leading roles, but he was very solid ensemble, right? Mm -hmm. And had a whole career during that. But in his, I think his mid twenties, he retired from dance and then, and then took a couple of decades off and basically returned to it later in life. And by the time I met him, he had a few years under his belt of dancing in his late fifties, early sixties. And he had the uh, history, but not the wear through his 30s and 40s on his body to return to it and do well. And so he actually picked up a professional career as a ballet dancer in his late 50s, early 60s. And now he's 65. And he, um, uh, his teacher, who he works with six days a week, is this guy, Alex. And they are working on a series of YouTube videos getting into the minutiae of how to train and how to develop your body um, for dance. At, at, and I, I don't know if it's specific to a little older ages. I don't think it is. It's specific to a very high level of ballet dancing. Mm -hmm. But it he, he and I now, anytime I'm in Portland, he lives in Portland, we go to lunch, we have long, epic, like three-hour conversations, and he shares with me about ballet. And it, I have this... Um, vicariously living, you know, a career that I would have been perfectly happy with being a dancer, not necessarily a ballet dancer, but certainly a dancer. Um, I get to live through him and then also have hope for myself as a dancer and the types of dance that I would like to do into my later years. And I was curious what you think of that. And also if you think about dance playing a role in your life, maybe coming back around in your life. Uh, wow. Uh, that's quite an amazing story. Yeah. I don't think I'll come back to dancing. That's how I feel now. Uh, yeah. Of course, you never say never, but that's uh, what I feel. Mm. Yeah. Because uh, my my passion lays elsewhere now. I sort of switch my brain so that yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, it's very admirable, uh, and. Uh, it, it's amazing that he can still dance. Uh, where does he perform? Well, he he's an interesting guy. He's very introverted. And he just trains. And mm -hmm. his goal is to begin performing. He did do, I think, one or two performances out in Virginia mm -hmm. um, about three years ago. But he's not wanting to perform until Alex kind of gives him the nod. And they mm -hmm. have a very, you know, a great relationship. But it's like, he's not going to go, hey, Alex, when do you think I should start performing? Like, should I do one soon or like in a year? It's just all unspoken, you know? And he goes, he'll know when the time is. But it's so fucking cool to watch him manage his body and um, I, he has a morning routine that he's developed through the decades. And I said, hey, Greg, can I join your morning routine sometime? Because I really value like movement and, and uh, varied movement and movement that's good, good for your body long term. And he goes, yeah, come on over. And so wow. I did his movement routine with him in the morning. And it's like an hour long and it's all floor work and it's just hips. You know, it's just mm -hmm. open the hips, spine. And you can tell like because, again, because he has the privilege to be you know wealthy enough and to not have to do things on his body that he isn't really that are really hard on like going to a really job or that it's really hard in his mind that might express itself through his body 
he's able to, his whole life is becoming a ballet dancer in his 60s, better and better and better. And so short answer is he doesn't perform anywhere, but he is as committed to one single thing as I've ever met anybody. And probably very fit as well. Oh, he looks great. Yeah, he looks great. He's so funny, but he's kind of like, not but. And I I wanted to talk with him uh, before this. He just sent me a text while we were, uh, I was wanting to hear back from him before uh, we were done talking because he just got done with his uh, training with Alex this morning. But I really wanted to speak with him before we talked because he kind of, you know, brushed me up on, on some of the things I was, you know, maybe curious about uh, with you. But because for some reason, I don't know if it's the cultural thing, but I'll have these long conversations with him about ballet and not a lot of it sticks, you know, it's like, I get really excited about hearing him talk about it, but there's just such a rich history and an old history. And he gets into the opinions about what type of dance uh, ballet right now is he values and what type he just kind of like snubs his nose at. And, you know, it's, it's a, he gets really passionate about it for an introvert, especially like one of my favorite things in the world is when you see an introvert get really passionate about something and that like extroverted part of it comes out and he gets that way around some patients around that way. It's great. With your, with dance, and you were talking about this earlier at the beginning of the conversation, we mm-hmm. talked to, you, you mentioned body language being the universal language. Mm-hmm. Does that make you, does that make you show up in public settings outside of the, outside of the dance world or a performance hall or wherever it is? Do you feel like you have a superpower with body language? that can, <laughs> that can create some kind of effect in where you are? <laughs> That's a good question. Man. Yeah, I feel like I should say yes either way. <laughs> yeah, go you're for entrepreneurial. Just, if, if you've never thought about it, just go for it. <laughs> um, uh, I think I am doing consciously what other people are doing uh, subconsciously. Uh, so uh, I do observe maybe sometimes I miss even what people are talking about um, because I observe what they're doing oh, with their, uh, with their body language. Um, Not related to dance, just how they are. No, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is, it is something that I uh, realize that is, yeah. Um, and, and, what that- do you, and what do you learn? Like when you see somebody, what kind of story is created in your mind or what do you, or I don't want to say the word judgment, but I'm going to say the word judgment. Like, like what do you begin to like process about that person? Oh, no judgment. Just, uh, um, just, uh, I can think, Oh, I'm going to use that later for one of my choreographies. So you see the way someone moves and, and it's interesting to you. I got you. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, also if if they uh if they fidget or if um they look around and and uh, yeah it, it's just something that i think about hmm. or, or I, i'm not necessarily a, a super reader of body language but some things just go oh why why yeah. you know it's just um that's where my attention goes and is, is that a lot because you you watch dancers a lot? You can tell where they're holding tension and you can, mm-hmm. communicating what, where they need to move just slightly differently. Is it mm-hmm. is it that attuned, like very specific eye that you've developed through that? Probably, uh, probably. 
because with with ballet uh, you move finger slightly mm. and and then it already changes the look yeah you move oh, your wow. toe and it's it's uh, there's a lot of details and a lot of intricate work uh, hard work that goes into making your body uh, look the certain way and then you know for every pose you have uh, a thousand things that the body is doing uh, so yeah, if uh, even with a minor change, it's it stands out. Could you take a really close look at Ron right now and tell me <laughs> what's really going on? With him? <laughs> he looks fine. Second. Yeah, he looks relaxed. Looks fine. Go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> like oh, I see. Just put the yeah. You know, I uh, I trained with this dancer in swing and uh, blues dancing, uh, so partner dancing, um, which. I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, some ballet dancers uh, wouldn't take those uh, very seriously, but this dancer did take them very seriously, and they, they kind of had, the, my instructor, her name is Brenda, she had the type of mind that was extremely fixated on details, and almost to the point where, this is a subtle thing I've never tried to say, but almost to the point where she, she can make those details up, like, are you, you know, I would think in my head, are you seeing this, this, you know, half of a centimeter, some, some, a centimeter rotation in someone's hip? Or are you just like Rorschaching that out of thin air? I can't tell sometimes, but she would get into that level of observation about how people would move. And yeah. I really appreciated it. And it became, I became more sensitive to noticing what axis people were standing on and exactly when their weight was split and when it went totally or halfway or less onto another foot, you know, and, and it was really interesting. And it was like a feast for the eyes. Yeah. I, I have an example of this. Um, and this is something that really stuck in my head when I was little. Um, maybe uh, that's one of my first uh, teachers that uh, in a professional school in about in by professional school she took her lipstick and she said um you know the details that i'm telling you they're very small but just like the lipstick is small if you stick it into your nose you'll be walking around and people were will be wondering what is wrong with her so this is how it looks like to me when you're doing some detail that is uh, not supposed wow. to be there wow. <laughs> And what, okay, what's a detail, what's a detail that has no place in a ballet dancer's movement? Like it's not misplaced, like they should do it later. It just has no place in the dance at all, ever. Mm. Or if there is one. In a classical dance, you mean? Like in ballet. Oh, right. Because if it gets more contemporary, then kind of that opens things up. Well, in contemporary, I think you can uh, yeah. do a lot of things on purpose that will, you know, maybe have meaning in a certain yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, do the classical. I'm curious. In the classical, well, for example, um, you should be sort of flat from both sides. So from the front and from the back. So your stomach oh. cannot stick out. Um, so yeah the hips and then there's there should not be a uh, belly uh of any kind and or even the butt but of no, course booty. you cannot I avoid not having your butt is, yeah, is booty. <laughs> um i'm out then my belly would be getting me out of there <laughs> i'm glad you said it ron i was gonna say it but i was like i'll take it easy no it's okay I'll, I'll admit it <laughs> 
and and uh, you're also supposed to be super pulled up all the time, feeling like yeah. you're you're um, yeah walking on your toes without walking on your toes. So the whole body is just up and up and up without yeah, the shoulders. Yeah. The shoulders also yeah. always down. The, the, these sort of details that that, that are always. About being a dancer for me was shoulders because my shoulders just like subconsciously come up like I'm holding my breath all the time. And my instructor would always say like, imagine your shoulders are getting put into two jeans pockets, like just lift them up and boom, down and back, you know? And like, I get that and I see how it looks good. And you can tell when someone's shoulder blades, like this, Ron, this is the type of stuff I would deal with with Brendan. I loved it. It was great. But We'd walk outside and she would see people's shoulder blade bones Mm -hmm. sticking out and she would just get frustrated and she'd want to like, oh, sorry. She would want to like grab their shoulders and do this and get their shoulder blades. That just happened to me this last weekend. I was in a a yoga class and I was doing, um, you know, warrior one and Uh and I had my eyes closed and, uh, (laughs) and this, the instructor was this older gentleman who was also a Zen master and. And he had this like very um, commanding way. He walked around the room and and directed us through the through the movements. And I don't like being touched by surprise. Maybe no one does. <laughs> but, old part of our brain is like that, right? Yeah. And so my eyes are closed, and I'm in the session. And he grab he like puts his hands on my shoulders and presses them down. Mm-hmm. And and uh, thankfully, his voice was close enough there that I was like, oh, it's this guy. But Did like, you shrug him off? Like, I, I wanted to like throw him, him over my shoulder <laughs> really quickly. But what's funny is, is uh, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, obviously, I'm feeling that. I'm feeling how mm-hmm. high I'm holding my shoulders. I'm like, okay, let's bring them mm-hmm. down. And then later that day, my wife and I were at a restaurant uh, that was close to this whole facility. And I feel hands on my shoulders again, press it down. It was a woman who had been in the class. She's like, keep your shoulders down. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Like out in the world? Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it was, I mean, I think she was giving me some shit in a, in a loving kind way, but it was, I think about that now. I mean, and I have been thinking about, you know, I've been talking about how body language, how we want to change our body language so that we show up differently in the world. Well, the thing is, man, like there's this book, uh, I think it's the book Convert. No, I can't remember. It might have been uh, Body Keeps the Score, mm. but it it said this line one time. It said, "Your body is your subconscious," mm. and like you can uh, you know take that uh, very simplified statement apart and have problems with. It. I get that, but that was a very inf- uh, informative and interesting way to look at the subconscious and the body. That is to say, your body holds the contents of your subconscious, you know, something you might not be aware of um, that happened in your childhood, um, that happened in life that was uh, significant, may come up in the way that you hold your body. And I think that there's some, that that's a valuable and interesting thing to, to consider. But if that's, if that's the case, then you might be holding your shoulders that way, you know, because of uh, some of, as, as an effect what am I trying to say? That it, it, it's Does something effect. bad happened to me as a kid? Is that you're trying well, to say, no, Daniel? That, that would be a reductive <laughs> way to say that. But like, it's an effect of something that has happened in, yeah. in your life, you know, and maybe cumulatively. But what happens, what I've noticed, is that your body then builds a structure around that. It becomes happy with that place, happy mm-hmm. in a sense. And if that's not a sustainable thing that your body has adjusted to, then it cannot, it will give problems yeah. as, as time goes on. 
Because I would try to like, for the life of me, I would try to put my, be very mindful. I can get pretty obsessive about stuff, put my shoulders back. But what happened is that I started irritating all these parts of my shoulders by doing that. I didn't have, I didn't have an integrated way to make that change and that evolution. And I think that's what my friend Greg is doing and is so good at. And he's really smart by taking this really long, methodical path of changing his body in some ways because it gives his subconscious his mind these deeper aspects time to 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 catch up and to go with the body and to change i don't know if any of that makes sense uh, yeah it makes sense i mean i i think that um well number one we remember we talked to shoshana berger Berger about this you know earlier Uh, she's a guest who um an author and and designer and editor and writer um and she talked about being in acting school uh, or theater school and was moving something in her body. Actually, it was someone in class who was moving oh, something in their right. body and their shoulder shifted and the person just broke down in tears. And then that kind of triggered some stuff in her. Um, so I think that I think that's right. I, I noticed that in my body with breath, like I, I hold my belly in because I'm vain. I'm not afraid of that. I'm afraid of saying that. But I, but it keeps my, it keeps my diaphragm from going down all the way, and it keeps my sh- my breath shallow, mm-hmm. and and I've been really trying to allow myself to relax my belly and to take deep breaths and exhale all the way and inhale all the way. And I don't know if you remember you even saying that to me, uh, Daniel, years and years ago when we were training together um, about kind of the belly, like how we always tuck in our belly and it, and it keeps our breath short. Do you remember t- telling me that? I mean, I know you look, no, uh, <laughs> but Melina, you, were you going to say something about what I, what I was sharing? What, what I were uh, yeah. Uh, so I actually had a hard time relating to that because, uh, in, in Bali, we learned to, uh, to keep control of our body no matter what. So even yeah. if you, no matter what childhood you had or what kind of problems you have in your life, you still go on stage and you look fabulous and you smile, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's it's not that, uh, yeah, it comes out so much in, in, the, in the body. Of course, it's a long process. Uh, we, we work on it every day. Mm. So I can see how if you don't do ballet, yes, but if you do ballet, it does not. Uh, just push down there. <laughs> well, and yeah. I and I wonder too, you know, if 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 we're like really to tease that out, if the people at your level of ballet dancing, their bodies have been constructed to do that since they were very young. I assume. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's but that's what I'm talking about, like. I didn't start dancing the dance that I wanted to dance until my, my like thirties, you know, Mm -hmm. and my body was not created to do that. And so I had to, like, if I was to start, were to start ballet dancing right now, you could tell me all you want. Doesn't matter. You just need to look good, look good out there. I would hurt myself and I would not be able to be on stage. You know, I couldn't be a professional ballet dancer. It would, but I could, but I do believe that a person can, through a longer methodical, if they're looking to dance, and I know this isn't relatable to you because you don't deal with this type of people, but, you know, one of the things that Ron and I talk about a lot on here is, you know, if we're later in life and we're figuring out the things we really want to do, how do we integrate those things into our life now 
not having had our mind and bodies been constructed to do that for decades. And it's a different process, you know, and it takes a lot of patience and it takes a lot of, you know, yeah, it takes a lot of patience and a lot more too, yeah. A lot of time. And yoga is uh, fabulous as well. I uh, I think you can do also a lot of uh, things with yoga. You don't have to do uh, ballet necessarily. But if there's a constant uh, work on, on your body, you will, you will get there. Do you deal when you, when you do uh, need people to get out there on stage and look great despite everything? What are some of the con- uh, consistent... Um, uh, problems that people face to be able to do that like injury or or their mind just kind of freaking out do you get people who just break um oh yeah the injuries are very common uh sadly uh but it it is um, i i don't know exactly the percentage but there's always some percentage of people that are injured um what about mentally or emotionally mental breakdowns happen as well i think less less often the main main problem with with dancers is is uh, injuries which also yeah. can can bring down the the mental state because the career is short you just want to go 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 and you mm-hmm. want to get the best roles possible and you want to be on on uh, the, the best you can be um but it's uh, not always uh, the way it goes you know Ron, it it reminds me of. Uh, I'm sorry, Melanie. Were you going to say more? Um, well, just uh, just the way the way you deal with it. Uh, I I think uh, I think you learn to deal with it on on your own a lot. Um, and there's not like uh, uh, y- you can help maybe someone if you know the person, right? It's not like you have a key to all of the dancers. Uh, uh, psyche and then you can just say that one word and then everything is fine you know uh, Ron it reminds me of David Goggins Mm -hmm. Um, so are you familiar with the insane human that is David Goggins Melina he's a a ex-Navy SEAL and basically ultra fit trainer ultra marathoner I I might have heard some stories Yeah. yeah Well, he, uh, according to him, you know, he doesn't seem like a liar, but he would be faced with having to run 30 miles left of a race when he's got like stress fractures in his feet. And he has multiple stories of just how he literally just turned his mind, he made a decision in his mind and his body followed. Have you experienced much of that where you're just like, I have to do this? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Especially, um, yeah, I wasn't very kind to my body always. Uh, so I remember one a specific um, case. It was in a um, pre-graduate year, and we had this performance coming, and I had a stress fracture, and I didn't know I had a stress fracture on one of my um, metatarsals. So uh, uh, one of every time I put weight on my foot, it would hurt just no matter what weight. And there was also a lot of jumping and uh, they didn't make a scan for me yet, but I just thought, you know, I'll keep going because this is what uh, dancers do in a lot of cases. And, 
uh, it has gotten so bad that I had to freeze the the food with this freeze spray. Uh, oh but it only covers the the top part of the. Yeah. Well, it just makes the skin a little bit numb, but the bone you can still feel. And then uh, I still yeah went on and uh, did uh, a show or two. And then later they told me, oh well, you you're dancing on a pretty much of a broken foot. So. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, did it did it crack the metatarsal all the way? Uh, Continuing to to dance on it. It certainly didn't make it better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Would you do the same thing if you had to do it over again? Um, sorry. Would you do that again if you had to? No, do it again? no. So you wouldn't. <laughs> no. Oh. It's it's just uh, this uh, mentality, and I think I um, that. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but I think it came probably back uh, in in Kiev that that you just keep going like a train. You don't stop um, unless uh, unless you can't walk at all. And yeah. uh, I could walk, so <laughs> that's. But it, it took a while for me to realize that I have to be uh, uh, kinder to my body. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Ron and I talk a lot about. Uh, how to achieve goals and one of the things like I was a distance runner in college and high school and you know intensely 100 mile weeks very intense twice a day training going to school at the same time and it was a meat grinder you know like it was really really hard on the body waking up at seven and then running four miles and then going and doing school and then getting into an afternoon workout which would be about 10 miles at, on heavy weeks and then doing weights, plyometrics, stretching, all of that at the same time. And um, it tears people up, but I loved the purity of it. And it's one of the reasons I was speaking with Ron beforehand is like ballet dancers, like the distance runners of the dancing world. And just in my mind, because it's so intense and so pure and there's a lot of stress fractures in distance running. And there's a lot of stress fractures in ballet. Like it's just, yeah, everyone's super crazy lean. And uh, mm -hmm. I just I just compare those two and I really enjoy um, doing things intensely and pure. Also, I found that I just break myself, you know, mm -hmm. one way or the other if I do that. So Ron and I are kind of on an adventure of how to achieve, achieve high, like really achieve and also not kill ourselves. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, David Goggins, your story about you just keep going or that you can't relate, you know, to, or have a hard time relating to, um, you know, yeah, I just can't do this because something happened to my childhood. That's for us. That's like an archetype. It's like, it's like there's an inner voice that you need to activate it sometimes, which is just, you just need to do this. You know, I don't care if you're tired. I don't care if you don't want to, you just need to do this. And for mm -hmm. us, uh, a big part of our, of, of achieving success and becoming aligned with you know, how to really live this life to its fullest is when to engage that voice and when to not engage that voice. And I don't know if that's very relatable to you because you're still very much in the world of like highly high achieving world-class professional intense thing. But it's really one of the reasons I was looking forward to speaking with you mm -hmm. today is just to hear a little bit about your world and hearing like you say yeah it doesn't really matter what's going on. you have to go on and you have to look beautiful that is a voice that like I really value it doesn't have the microphone all the time in my decision making process but it's oh shit sorry but it's at the table 
it's at the table and it's invited to speak. I'm noticing more and more because it used to speak and run the show. And then I was like, fuck, you, you need to go away. And then it was like, with life without that ability to turn it on and do something when you don't want to do it, life just is not as good as it could be with that part of ourselves engaged. Um, I don't know if that, if you can relate to that or not, but I appreciate you speaking a little bit about your, your world. Uh, I, I agree that uh, uh, there is a certain part that needs to be engaged, but this I think relatable to everyone uh, that needs to get up in the morning at a certain time and do certain things <laughs> yeah. and yeah. go to a certain uh, place to uh, do more certain things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Quote of the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Because, and I think a good way to like notice when that voice is doing a good job is when you don't want to do something, you engage that part of yourself and you fucking do it. And then you're like, I'm yeah. so glad I did that. Yeah. That was clearly a good time to do that. But if you engage that part, do something, and then you're injured or you're like unhappy or it's driving you to the ground, probably not, you know, then that's taken over. What do you think about that, Ron? How do you like negotiate that? Yeah, I, I saw I saw this uh, uh, quote recently that stuck in my mind um, that there are uh, two types of regret, uh, like a small regret of uh, uh, is it a regret or is it um, basically you either struggle now and and do something yeah. or oh, you yeah. struggle later because you haven't done this. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. long term, which is much worse. Yeah, so. 100%. And yet you don't want to be in misery all the time. You know, so it's like, it, but that's another thing that David Goggins says. I, I'm not, I'm not a huge Goggins guy, but he's coming up a lot in this conversation. But he's like, he's like, balance is not for me. People talk about balance. He goes, balance is good. Balance is good. Most people it is. But he goes, for me, I'm not, I'm trying to be the best in the world at something. I'm not going to be balanced, you know? And I thought that was interesting. I was like, thank you for speaking to that. Because if you, you know, Telling people that everyone needs to be like this, it's not the way, but certain people are just, that's their purpose is to be the extreme, you know, the best in the world, yeah. the absolute best they can be and they can actually do it. Yeah, total uh, focus and continuous drive and motivation. Uh, and it's not, it's not that you have to uh, chase motivation. It's just needs to be there. Um, yeah, you just have to do it. You just, need to know why why you need this yeah that's what they say those who can uh, who have a why can endure anyhow mm -hmm. yeah. you know i've never been able to identify with that why thing I, i've heard it for years and years and years <laughs> and what and, i just said or what she said well the i mean the i that the the why part has it's that's been out in the public world for a long time and and I've never, I, it's something about my brain. My brain just can't land on like how that works in my mind. And Sounds like you don't know why you do anything. I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, it's been a while since I've really focused physically on something. Um, in, in 2019, I did a big uh, rock climb that most people would do over three to four days. And, and I decided wow. to do it in a day. And... And so maybe at the time, Why? good question, good question. Well, it was, it was um, a long goal of mine that I put off. I, I had thought in the past that I wasn't good enough and I didn't this is have. This climbing half dome, right? Yeah. 
and that I didn't have um, the skill or the strength or the fortitude or the bravery to do it. And, and finally, I thought, I've, those are all stories, they're all excuses, and I have to put them to bed. And, um, and so I, put my, I built a training program, and I, live, I happened to live across the street from a really nice climbing training facility. It has you know, climbing walls plus weight, weights and great, just it's a great facility. And, and I had a job at the time that would allow me to like work out a lot. So I was, I was training five days a week and, and I would put myself through as much rigorous pain as I could, because I thought if I can endure the pain now, then no, no matter what pain I might face during that time, I'll, I'll be able to just gut through it. I'll be able to grind through it. And so my why was like, I just don't want, I'm, I'm afraid now. <laughs> my, my why was like, I'm afraid of what's coming up. I would like dream about the route. I would dream about the rock climb. I would dream about parts of it that I had read, but never seen. And it would wake me up in the middle of the night. And, and I would dream about parts of the wall falling off and, and cool. all kinds of other things like that. Um, yeah. It's quite so, some uh, creative thinking there. <laughs> well, it, um, the wall has, does it happen? No. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's, yes. there's a chunk of the wall now that they don't know how it's on. It's, Whoa. it's 300 square meters. It's what? 300 square meters of granite. That's a meter thick. And then they have no idea how it's still on the wall. Oh my God. And how and long once, has it been there like that? Uh, since 2015. So in 2015, a section of the climb fell off. And, and so you used to could climb these cracks through this, through about 150 feet of the, of 2000 feet. And, and that 150 feet completely fell off. And, wow. and what's left there is just this blank, completely <laughs> blank wall. And there are these, um, like five millimeter, um, uh, millimeter, centimeter, five, yeah, five millimeter, um, thin screws that people have pounded into the wall by by hand with a hammer and then they twist a little drill and hammer and twist and it took took two guys like a week to put these up and you mm -hmm. just clip each one and like stand up on a, a sling to get to the next one and it takes about an hour to to make that trip but yeah sections of it do fall off and and imagine and falling imagine that's the way you go out you're climbing and the wall falls like uh. you're falling and you're still holding on to it. You're like, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it's happened. I mean, it's a, it's a, the rock, rock fall is, it's a, the mountains are, are dynamic. They, they're living, you know, the mountains are like, they're exfoliating, they're growing. You know, I live in the shadow of a mountain here in Oregon that is, that is growing. It's, it's measurably growing, going up because of the volcanic activity underneath it. Wow. And and even those old stone faces, they're like they're shedding layers as the years go on. Um, Melinda, can you could you say why you do what you do? Like pretty succinctly, do you know why you do what you do? Yeah, I like um, uh, that. <laughs> took it took me off uh, off my feet there. Um, <laughs> Well, uh, first the of all, of the podcast just <laughs> <laughs> uh, first of all, I like bringing. I would would like to bring new audiences to Bali, and it's mm -hmm. it's it makes me so happy when somebody that never seen Bali before comes up to me and says, "You know, 
I've seen your ballet three times now oh. because that, that's how much I loved it, uh, seeing it the first time in my life. And uh, that's one of the biggest highs I, I, uh, I get yeah. hearing something like this. And um, the other part is I also love when, when people, you know, I, 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 they should feel some sort of emotions. And I think I'm quite good at um, letting people feel, uh, feel that uh, through, through dance, through this, yeah. uh, through this art. Yeah. Beautiful. That's a good answer. Simple too. Um, I know we're kind of getting close to the time here. There's uh, did you know that that spider that you played in Dune, that there mm. is a, there's a, some discussion around what that spider is in the lore of Dune. Do you know that? Yeah, I've seen some Did things. You see that yeah. video? Yeah. yeah that one was great. It's like Saran, there's a spider that she played that in the in the in Dune, but it's not in the books. Mm-hmm. And wow. so all the all the like Dune geeks are like, what's the spider? You know, it, they, how dare they put something in that wasn't in the book, you know? And, but then they get into it and they're like, well, what does it mean? And so there's a discussion around what that spider is. And because it's very human-like, they're yeah. attaching it to this other thing that happened in Dune. And they're like, it's that guy's wife. And she's kind of a zombie <laughs> and they turn her into spiders. <laughs> I remember that. I saw I saw the, the film and I think I saw a little bit of that. Discussion. Dude, I saw the movie twice and I didn't see the spider. What? Like, what? It's, no, it's a very it. a small scene. Uh, well, you, you, I don't know, uh, just a... It's not that many seconds. Yeah, but because if you think about other stuff, you might not even right. realize that that was that was it. It's also in the in the dark, but it was a really fun process. I must say, <laughs> I loved I loved being uh, on set, and it's it, the team is amazing. It's like clockwork. It's just mm. it was really special. What was so fun about it? Was the costume? Uh, well the costume uh, no it's not about what i was wearing or or uh, uh what i was doing but i i enjoyed the most actually just observing uh the process mm. and um I'm, the filmmaking yeah the filmmaking and i was really lucky actually because then i had to make rose um something like a year later and mm. um it's yeah. yeah it's not that i learned uh everything but it, it helped me to um to group some things together of course yeah. you know it's not not comparable at all uh totally different uh levels of uh, of a project Mm, but uh, yeah, it, it was amazing to. Were you to surprised that 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 because that the your spider dance was part of a competition, right? Mm-hmm. When you were you know back in 2012, approximately, correct? Mm, first time I made it was around 1999. Whoa! Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, that's I was so still cool. I was still a little girl. Yeah. Wow. wow. And were you surprised? I mean, was that like a shock that people came and found you for that kind of movement because of a character they had developed later? Yeah. um, You mean for Dune? Yeah. uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was it was a nice uh, nice surprise indeed. Yeah. Um, so they tracked you down because because they knew that you could do that dance from the video. I believe so. Yeah, they oh, needed yeah. to um, uh, help with the CGI movement, and yeah. mm. um, so then they said that one will do it. <laughs> and when was that original? Did you originally create the spider um, in '99? Did you, as part of like a school project or what was it? No, it was an international ballet competition. And uh, back in Ukraine at that time anyway, there was not that many choreographers that I um, either seen work of uh, as a little girl, you know, or um, felt like it was um, suitable for my talent to, mm -hmm. to show off my best capabilities because you only get one solo uh, one classical and one um, contemporary, maybe in the whole competition, maybe for one round, but it, it counts, right? It counts a lot. And so I did not have a, a solo at all. And then uh, at some point I was just mm, mimicking spider movements on, on the floor in the living room as for, for fun in front of my mother. And she was laughing <laughs> so much. It was a really fun, uh, fun day. And then at some point she goes, actually, you should just do this. And oh, that's yeah. how the spider was born. Um, I was a little bit um, obsessed with spiders mm -hmm. when I was, when I was little. That appropriately creepily. <laughs> <laughs> you mean just you had observing. a thousand pet spiders? <laughs> no, not necessarily. But 10, when I, when <laughs> I didn't have any spiders in boxes, you know, as uh -huh. they have tarantulas in the boxes or anything like that. But just uh, house spiders, sometimes I would catch a fly and then feed it. Yes, I've done that too. I've done that too. Yeah, like, you've done that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're you the first person I... Get? <laughs> really? Yeah, you're the first person I met that that actually does that. Oh, you know? I, that was, I've done that a lot. I love to catch like bugs and, and give them to a garden spider and, and throw it in the... In the the web and watch the web shake and watch the spider come over yeah. and wrap it up and watch yeah. that spider get fat. Like it's so uh -huh. big. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's fun. Right. right? So that, that, that was my, uh, <laughs> that was instead of my toys, I guess sometimes. Nice. Um, Have you ever, yeah. About two weeks ago, I was, uh, um, I had a friend over and she was like, get the fuck rid of these mosquitoes that are in here. She was just getting tore up by mosquitoes. Right. And I leave, you know, I don't always kick a spider out of a corner. Sometimes I do, and sometimes I don't. And I was like, what is going on? Like, why wouldn't these, I mean, these spiders must love it. And then I saw a mosquito land in a spider web and just happy as a clam. Like, like it was so happy that there was a web there to land on because it's so much more comfortable than the wall. It was like the total opposite that you would think a bug mm -hmm. in a spider web, but it was just like happy. And then I put my hand next to it, it just flies away. And I was like, oh, you like the mosquitoes like the spiders. Mm. <laughs> for, for briefly. Well, Malia, thank you so much for joining us. Next time I catch a spider and throw it, or catch a bug and throw it in a spider, I'll think of you and and uh, tell my kids I got to meet the spider from Dune. And uh, you're you're. Um, I love hearing about your creative process and what's driving you, and it's it's challenging me to think about my why continually. So thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Very nice meeting you both. Okay, see you next time. Take care.
Have you ever caught a bug and thrown it in the spider web? No, but I'm really upset that you guys didn't recognize the hilarity of my mosquito in a web situation. I was like totally underappreciated. But... It was well, it just wasn't that good of a story. You need to you need to shop that one around a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one died. The spider, this mosquito just hung out there and also hurt somebody you loved and, and you didn't care. <laughs> there was okay. no revenge. Okay. Come okay. on. I, I can shop that around more. You know, cutting for signs should be the place where you submit polished material, but it's not. It's, <laughs> I'll say, I was listening to an okay. episode we did the other day. Well, I had my, I had my John Coltrane, uh, Church of John Coltrane that story. That needs to get shelled for like a decade. Oh, yeah. it was bad. It was bad. I used to love pulling that story out, and I think it's going to be gone for a long time. It's <laughs> long you time. You know the key. The key to us to to story like anecdotes, right? Not the key. I'm not a master, but I think one of the keys is recognizing is being kind of a ninja when it comes to when you when you tell one and how long that anecdote is compared to the reason that you brought it up. Like those things need to fit. So if it's just for a like, little small detail that happens at the end of the story that relates to why you brought it up, but we spend three minutes getting there, it's like, that needed to be edited down, you know? Sometimes I'll edit people's stories while they're talking. I'm like, you cut that out. I'm not kidding. <laughs> out loud, you should get, that part you just said, that should be out of that conversation. <laughs> That's awesome. Can I do that with you? Cut that, Ron. You know, keep going. <laughs> you know, the cool thing about Milena is, is we've never had anybody of her level I mean, I don't think of anybody that we've spoken with who has had that level, that length of career, that intensity of their skill. Uh, that's a really, really unique thing, man. I mean, I mean, if you think about it in the in the in the broad spectrum of humanity that you know and I know, you know, both collectively and separate, I try. I keep a kind of a scorecard of people I know who do really unique things, nice. right? Like I, I've met two jet fighter pilots like out in the wild not like met them at you know yeah. an air show or something but like one was in a grocery store you know and he had his flight suit on i was like your jet fighter jet pilot he goes yeah i was like you gotta buy your own groceries he's like unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> like really once you become a jet fighter they don't all, all that doesn't come with someone who does all right. the shit you don't ever want to do <laughs> right and and i've met a few race car drivers uh i've met a few um you know moto gp um, motorcycle riders, uh, which is the highest level you can get, you know, I've, but I've only met like one perfumist, like someone who makes their own perfume and, Ooh. and this level of ballet, it's like, Whoa, that's, I've ne ne never met anyone at that level. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, Timmy O'Neill, we had Timmy O'Neill on. He didn't start when he was three. You know, Joe Rogan says he likes to talk to people who are really far down their path. Yeah. Sorry, really far down the A path. And I, I think about that too. I'm like, yeah, so if you do something for a long time and you're really on the path, like you're getting better at it, you're not just yeah. in a rut for a long time. You're not stagnant. That's different. But you're pushing for a long time, decades, decades. That is interesting, especially yeah. if you're like a live wire where you're not just kind of playing out the role for a long time, even if you're doing good work. Like, you're really going for it and challenging yourself and you're going through life through the lens or through the experience of this thing. I think that's interesting too, for sure. Yeah, That's yeah. one of the reasons I want to paint for a long time is like I chose painting partially because, oh, 
even though you know maybe people have started this decades earlier yeah um i can still do this till i'm 90 if i live that long people people do that yeah i and i that's something that excites me about writing as well like i'm yeah, i'm okay call. with this being a uh, it's i want it in the rest of, in my life forever and i want yeah. it to be to know that i could get better and better and better it, yeah imagine how good she's going to be at choreography in 10 yeah. years 20, oh, I mean, she's 30. already incredible, world class. She could be then, forty years later yeah. from now, still choreography, yeah. still doing choreography. Yeah, and every time she grabs a bug and throws it in a spider web, she's gonna think about this conversation. I think the you've miss. I think you've misheard that in your warped, sick mind to think that she still does that. But that was a childhood. No, story. she's going to. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to. It's spider season right now because it's the fall. This is when all the spiders come out. Spider season. It is. Oh it God. is. Go yeah, for a run. See how many spider webs you get to get on your face in the trail. You'll see. You'll see. Nope. Nope. When I was a kid, I grew up on an Asian parrot orchard, and that is with huge long Johnson grass. Yeah. And uh, Johnson grass in, in Northern California environment is heaven for garden spiders. Yep. Which come in so many shapes and, and, and they're all big. Yeah. And they do bite. Yeah. And I would I would dream of those things because you would do what you just said. You walk right through a web and you now had a dangerous being that's millions and millions of years of evolution was designed it to take out 13 year old boys. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening to Cutting Side. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs>